Hello, and welcome to I Don't Know The Podcast, episode 34, Spontaneous Human Combustion. Is it getting hot in here? Maybe the heating has turned up too high. Maybe it's summertime. Or maybe you are spontaneously human combusting. If you are SHCing, that would be the worst of those scenarios, because your body would have burst into flames and you would die with all your belongings untouched by flame and just the lower half of your leg remaining, which for me could be rather embarrassing. But is this a real thing? Apparently, it is. Well, it's enough of a thing for the A&E Network to make an episode of The Unexplained About. What could be causing this? Is it ghosts? Is it a new type of particle that makes human cells explode? Or is it alcoholism? I don't know. So listen on to find out what else I don't know about spontaneous human combustion. When I was a kid, I collected a monthly magazine called The Unexplained, or something like that. One edition sent chills down my spine. Its main feature was about spontaneous human combustion. It had pictures and photos of things like a charred human leg, a burnt-out armchair in the middle of an untouched, poorly decorated room. The first case was recorded in 1663, when a Danish guy reported that some French lady had burst into flames, leaving her straw bed untouched. And although rare, hundreds of similar accounts have been recorded ever since. The victims are usually alone, and while the torso and head is normally reduced to ashes, some extremities like lower arms and legs remain. It is actually a real thing, with several theories floating around out there. Some believe the presence of large amounts of alcohol contribute to it. Others think a build-up of static electricity could be the cause, which is understandable given the cheap-looking tacky furniture the victims seem to be sitting in. But it's not just sad, lonely alcoholics with poor taste that have succumbed to SHC. Even rock stars have been victims, like the drummer from Spinal Tap. Now, during the Flower People period, who was your drummer? Stumpy's replacement, Peter James Bond, he also died in mysterious circumstances. We were playing a, a, a festival, bl- jazz blues festival. Where was that? Well, blues My, jazz, really. Blues jazz festival. It was, the, it was, the, uh, it was in the Isle, Isle of, of Lucy. Lucy. The yeah. Isle of Lucy. Isle of Lucy. Jazz blues festival. And uh, it was tragic, really. He exploded on stage. Just like that. He just went up. He just was like a flash of green light. And that was it. Nothing was left. Look at his face. Well, there was. It's actually, true. This, this truly did happen. There was a little green globule on his drum seat. It's like a stain, really. It was, it was a more of a stain than a globule, yeah. actually. And you know, was, several, you know, dozens of people spontaneously combust each year. It's just not really widely reported. Right. Yeah. So, I thought I need to look into this strange phenomenon. And luckily for me, The Unexplained and the A&E Channel did a top-notch job of documenting this so I didn't have to do too much work on this week. Her upper torso was consumed 
to, one could say, ashen rubble. It appears in some cases there was what we would call the human Hiroshima effect. and I think there was a brace on one leg and I thought this has got to be a person. Because I know it was human combustion. Ow! My biscuits are burning! Fire in the hatch! Oh! In spontaneous human combustion, the heat is intense enough to reduce bone to ashes and destroy flesh completely. Putting that into context, to cremate a body requires a heat of around 1600 degrees Fahrenheit for about two hours. So, what's going on? The classic profile of an alleged spontaneous human combustion victim is an older woman who is overweight, alcoholic and infirm. They are usually alone at the time of the event. Apart from 15 cats, probably. Actually, that could be a new theory. It was cats. I've never trusted those creatures. In many ways, 51-year-old Beatrice Oski fit that profile. But a profile doesn't reveal the human drama behind the case study. This documentary has live dramatizations. If I was Beatrice, I would not be happy with the casting. It was Thanksgiving weekend in 1979. Mrs. Oski kissed her son Frank goodbye and wished him a safe journey. Frank was going skiing for the weekend and had a long drive ahead. Ironically, it was the housebound mother's life that would be in jeopardy. So the ungrateful Frank leaves his drug-addicted housebound alcoholic mum so he can go skiing in 1979. That's just being a bad son. Beatrice Oski struggled with a drinking problem. She was also handicapped, wearing a brace on her left leg. Years before, she had broken her ankle. Because she was a diabetic, it had never healed properly. Despite these problems, her son didn't worry about leaving her alone. I think those are the reasons he actually did want to leave her alone. She was not scared to be alone. You know, she was a fairly brave woman, really. Uh, she just had that, she had one fear. Maybe because she's off her face on booze and goofballs most of the time. The next morning, Shelly Oski, Frank's ex-wife, came to pick up some belongings from the Oski home. Knowing Beatrice was handicapped, she waited patiently for the door to be answered. But at a certain point, Shelly became concerned and let herself in. Mom? She smelled smoke and called out for her mother-in-law. When there was no answer, Shelley became Mom. frightened and called the fire department. The fire department? What are they going to do? All they ever seem to do is double park their truck outside the front of Ralph's and flirt with hot mums doing their shopping. But enough of my running feud with the so-called firefighters. 
It was very warm in the house. Some smoke was still lingering, but not any real noticeable foul odors. Certainly not any any smells that you would think would be associated with a uh, a human being you know, being burned. As seen in this actual photo, the paramedics were confused by what confronted them. The photo shows a charred lamp in the middle of a room. Everything else is untouched by fire. The old TV set, the surrounding carpet, the horrifically ugly sofa. It took a few minutes to actually digest the, the whole uh, picture that there was a, uh, a person actually sitting in the chair who had died. The Bolingbrook, Illinois Fire Department backs up every paramedic team with a fire engine. A few minutes later, Lieutenant Darrell Hafner arrived on the scene. We didn't really know what we had sitting down there on the floor, whether it was a, a pile of papers, a bag of garbage, and we really had to stand back and get our senses together and say, what is this? And then uh, I noted a foot, and I think there was a brace on one leg, and I thought, this has got to be a person. Well done, Sherlock. The area from above Mrs. Oski's knees was burnt away, literally burned to the bone, yet things around her did not ignite. Not a foot away was a, was a newspaper, unburnt, a, a big lighter, no other damage uh, from fire to the, uh, uh, to the room, to the area, just all just completely centralized in one spot. It is a really weird scene. I'll post a pic on the Insta and the Facebook. Frank Oski knows his mother was a careless smoker, and she had been seriously burned once before. And on one occasion, I guess she fell asleep and due to her drinking, the cigarette more or less landed on her abdomen and it burnt a hole right in there. Not a deep one, but it did burn a hole. And she was so incoherent that she never realized that. And you left her alone to go skiing, knowing that? Fire professionals rarely see burn victims whose torsos and internal organs are so completely devastated. Ugh. So, in a regular house fire, it's the legs and arms that are burnt the most, with the majority of the torso remaining. In SHC, it's the opposite. What's going on? Luckily, some guy has written a book about it, and they get him on the documentary. In classic quintessential spontaneous human combustion cases, the point of origin of the energy that consumes the victim appears to originate in the torso, in the center part of the body, and radiates outward, much like a human fireball. A human fireball? Like in the Fantastic Four? The human body is incredibly difficult to incinerate. Crematoria place the body in a chamber called a retort and subject it to heat the equivalent of a blast furnace. What comes out of the retort after several hours of exposure to temperatures as high as 22 to 2600 degrees Fahrenheit is not merely dust but bone fragment. Bone fragments which are then mechanically pulverized to the proverbial dust and ash. That's what happens when you're cremated and it seems there are similarities with Beatrice's remains. Her bones did disintegrate and the, the body disintegrated. I think she was about 170 some pounds and we carried out about 65 pounds of what was left of her. See? But where is this intense heat coming from? Why are the combustible items nearby left untouched by flame? Well, the human body is not particularly combustible, but the fat 
animal fat, is combustible. In fact, uh, it, it melts, turns to a liquid, and burns as what we call an ignitable liquid. Dr. Steve Novella of the Connecticut Skeptical Society reasons that Mrs. Oski burned like a candle. A human body can be thought of as a candle inside out, where the fat is on the inside and the wick is the clothing which is worn on the outside. To demonstrate the candle effect, pork fat is placed in a bag made from the leg of a child's cotton blend sweatsuit. Mmm, pork fat. The heat from the burning cloth melts the fat which oozes through the open weave. The fat is the more abundant fuel source, and the fire leaves the cloth relatively undamaged. It's true. In the video, the delicious pork fat is burning away and dripping into a pan, while the cloth just has some smolder marks at the end. Oh, and I am aware that, for some reason, there seems to be an echo in the narrator's voice. I didn't do that. For some reason, the filmmakers must have done it. If Beatrice Oski became a human candle, why was the fire so localized? Why were the end table and ottoman the only things in her home to be damaged by fire? A burning object must give off a certain amount of radiant energy to be capable of igniting an adjacent object. This still has me completely flummoxed. I mean the not burnt stuff, uh, not the echo. Skeptics have theorized that Mrs. Oski's body fat burned like a candle and that the fire extinguished because of the lack of oxygen. But we are still left with the puzzle of how this brutal fire began. Having seen all the evidence, you know, there's nothing that explains it. Uh, the firemen, they, they can't explain it. No one can explain it. Well, the firefighters probably just want to get back to the firehouse so they can work out and look swole for the hot mums at the supermarket. And poor, sad Beatrice's death remains unexplained to this day. But hers isn't the only case like this. There was another one in Pennsylvania with some notable similarities. In a second floor sitting room, Mrs. Helen Conway, a 51-year-old widow, burned so quickly that more than 30 years after her death, fire officials are still puzzled. Helen is a widow just like Patrice. Retired Fire Chief Paul Haggerty was Fire Marshal of Upper Darby at the time. She was babysitting two grandchildren. And um, her daughter and son-in-law went out for the evening. And they were going to pick the children up sometime Sunday. They just left their kids alone with a possibly flammable widow. That's just careless. Conway's granddaughter, Stephanie, was watching cartoons on the first floor. Mrs. Conway, an invalid, used a bell to call for help. She asked Stephanie to bring her up a book of matches. The child brought them and went back down to watch TV around 8.30 a.m. This gets even worse. She's a widow, so is likely to be combustible. She can't leave her bed, and now she's getting little kids, who she's supposed to be looking after, to get her matches. Mrs. Conway's next-door neighbor was going to church and saw a glow at the window. She ran over to the house and Stephanie answered the door. Because the heat was so intense, the neighbor could not make it to the top of the stairs and she called the fire department. So approximately 8.50, 8.55, somewhere around there. So the firefighters have to leave Walgreens and go and investigate something again. I guess those cougars will have to wait. 
When the firemen got there, the fire was out. The heat was there, the doorknob was red hot, the door itself was hot, and when they opened the door, the smoke that hit them was hot. The fire's out already. Either that was really quick, or they just took their sweet time. Here was a fire scene even more macabre than the Oski case. There in the corner were the remains of Mrs. Conway, as seen in this photograph taken in her sitting room. This one is pretty horrific. Just one corner of the room is scorched. The bottom of a leather armchair is still intact, and attached to the chair is two bare human legs, completely untouched from the knee down. Her upper torso was consumed to, one could say, ash and rubble. Her left arm was burned right down to the bone so that a bracelet could be seen dangling from her wrist bones. They think she's on her toes a little bit, the, the way that the, the position of her legs. I know they were blistered, there were blisters on them, but they weren't burned. Oh, it really is horrible. I'll post a pic on Insta and Facebook groups. Paul Haggerty's years of arson investigation training taught him not to overlook this important piece of evidence. So when I broke two blisters on her leg, the blisters were wet. I mean, they, the fluid didn't come out, but they were wet. They, they weren't dry. Oh, God. And according to what I learned, that she was alive at the time of the fire. The fire was so intense that there was suspicion initially that perhaps foul play was involved because it seemed that certainly accelerants must have been present to fuel this intense combustion. No accelerants were ever determined to be at the fire scene. No gasoline, no fuel oil, no kerosene, nothing that could have fueled the intense ferocity of this blaze. Those grandkids might have been fucking around with the matches. In contrast to Mrs. Conway's body, only minor damage was apparent in the room. The telephone had started to melt, though nothing else on her end table seemed to be damaged. Her pack of cigarettes remained on a low table about three feet away. Weird. That type of fire you would remember all your life. <laughs> I mean, uh, it's something you would never forget. The cause of death listed for Helen Conway was improper use of smoking materials. Shit. I'd hate to have that on my epitaph. There may be an explanation for the intensity of this fire. All cloth and upholstery materials are flammable. The fiber content and the openness of the weave determine that flammability. I always get flammable and inflammable confused, but I guess he means it can catch fire. In essence, the uh, artificial clothes, the plastic clothes, the polymers, uh, polyesters, uh, rayons are, uh, and the rose created from, from cellulosics, uh, are more flammable than, say, cotton, and certainly more than, than wool. In addition, 15 to 20 years ago, furniture was built with highly flammable petroleum-based foam products. There's that echo again. A deadly combination. But there's another element to be considered here. A chair burning in the middle of a room can radiate heat in all directions a full 360 degrees. Helen Conway's chair was in the corner of the room. The radiant energy in this instance was compressed into only 90 degrees, which would intensify the fire. This could account for the speed of the fire, but not her disembodied legs. Those legs are just creepy. 
We find a clue to the macabre puzzle in the corner behind Mrs. Conway's chair. Fire investigators note two plumes on the wall. This may indicate that during the fire, the chair collapsed back, taking the upper portion of the body with it. The lower legs were then well outside the fire's radius. All the mysteries surrounding Helen Conway's death seem to lead us back to one question. Why the fuck was she left in charge of kids? How did the fire start? Oh yeah, that's it. Where did the fire start? Larry Arnold believes that it came from within Mrs. Conway herself. It appears in some cases there was what we would call the human Hiroshima effect, that at the subatomic level in the human body, a chain reaction begins to unleash itself. It radiates outward, literally outward, from the subatomic level to the atomic level to the physical structure of the human body. And in doing so, the tremendous amount of energy released instantaneously literally vaporizes the moisture content of the body away. These people become their own self-immolators, their own crematoria. Well, why would you want to do that? And it doesn't explain how it happens. Just saying subatomic this and molecular that, that doesn't explain anything. Joe Nickel, editor of the Skeptical Inquirer, suspects cigarette smoking was the origin of the fire which consumed Helen Conway. She was a heavy smoker. Secondly, she was a careless smoker, as evidenced, and this was in the, the reports by the officials, that she, there were burn marks all over her apartment from careless cigarette burns. I'm not sure that explains this either. I've drunkenly dropped a Cuban cigar onto my lap many times while drinking fine French brandy, and I didn't spontaneously human combust. There has to be more to it than that. The body temperature is regulated by a gland called the hypothalamus. The hypothalamus not only regulates the body's furnace, so to speak, but it's also the seat of emotions, which in terms of spontaneous human combustion is very interesting. Many of the victims are depressed or morose, they're lacking the desire to live, or they're hot under the collar, so to speak. Could a human being's body temperature produce enough heat to have caused this bizarre death? Could it? They did go over another case in this documentary, but it was very long and just went over the same stuff again. The only difference was this was a man, but he was a widower and he had multiple health pro problems and he smoked. There are cases of hypothermia caused by dysfunction of the hypothalamus. But there are no cases where the temperature is raised you know, beyond maybe 106 at the outside. Um, and again, the temperature would have to be raised to over 200 degrees Fahrenheit before, say, body fat, for example, would, would ignite. So th there is nothing even close to that reported in the medical literature. So the mystery continues. The fire doesn't come from whatever it was that guy just said. Another puzzle still remains. What could have caused the strange fire selectivity? Science offers one explanation. Heat rises in a column. When it hits the ceiling, it spreads out, first in a thin layer, and then that layer thickens. Consequently, objects on the floor near a fire do not necessarily burn, while an object near the ceiling, two or three rooms away, will be damaged. That would explain the legs. One of the things that seems to be a common thread with SHC is that the victims are always alone with no witnesses, even when you're supposed to be babysitting. But there is one case 
where that isn't the case. And it happened here, in London. It happened on September 10th, 1982, at 82 Chalfont Road in Edmonton. <laughs> Some may find that funny, but um, let me explain. Chalfont is Cockney rhyming slang for hemorrhoids. But anyway, let's carry on. A quiet London suburb. It was a warm evening. John Saffin and his daughter Jean were in the kitchen. Jean was 60 years old at the time. Don Carroll, her brother-in-law, remembers her fondly. She was mentally retarded. Jesus, if that's him remembering her fondly, I hate to hear what he says about people he doesn't like. But she was a lovely, she's a lovely kid. She, um, she used to help my mother. She was always with her mother. Since her mother's death, Jean was taken care of solely by her father, John Saffin. She would sit in her favorite chair most of the day. She couldn't read, but she liked to look through the newspapers. To be honest, I'd rather not be able to read the newspapers these days. As Mr. Saffin sat relaxing after dinner, he noticed a flash of light out of the corner of his eye. When he turned to see what it was, he discovered that Jean was spewing fire from her mouth. Holy shit! Mr. Saffin leapt to his feet and tried to put out the fire. Don Carroll, who was visiting at the time, heard the commotion and rushed to the kitchen. I pulled myself together and I rushed there and I got bowls of water. And I literally had to duck underneath to stop getting burned by the, the flames that were coming out of a midriff and her mouth. Oh my God, this is horrible. Put it this way, if you was a child, you see fairy tale stories of a dragon, a dragon breathing fire, and you see, I see it on films when you was a kid, but it's just what I walked into. The flames were coming out of Jeannie's mouth, a good two feet, maybe more. And that was a roaring sound. We put the flames out, and she was just standing there, and she didn't cry, pain, or anything. She didn't murmur. Shit, she's still alive? Don Carroll phoned for an ambulance. Jean was taken to Mount Vernon Hospital's burn unit, where she went into a coma. The hospital staff told the family Jean's chances of survival were slim. It may sound cruel, but to see her suffer, I think, would it have been better if she'd have gone straight away? Six days later, after Jean Saffin died, the London police sent Constable Lee Marsden to investigate. At least here we send Scotland Yard instead of some stupid firefighters. It would be normal practice when looking at the scene of this sort of incident to examine, um, to see whether there were any cigarettes lying around, any matches, ashtrays, uh, to ask whether the person, in fact, herself smoked. Jean Saffin never smoked, and Don Carroll thought she wouldn't even know how to strike a match. John Saffin told Constable Marsden that he had a pipe with a fresh pack of tobacco in it when the incident started. But he's not the one that burst into flames, and he's smoking tobacco. It's not like everyone's smoking crack in there. He never used to smoke in the kitchen when Jeannie was in there. 
When Mr. Safin smoked his pipe, he used to go into the front room. With that knowledge, Constable Marsden tried to discover another source of ignition which may have started the fatal fire. No plug sockets, electrical sockets, no gas points within reach of that chair. The floor was a hard floor. There was a gas cooker um, across, across the kitchen. You couldn't reach it by stretching or reaching your foot across. As far as I was concerned, I couldn't explain how this lady had gone up in flames. Not even Scotland Yard's finest can come up with a satisfying conclusion into what caused poor Jean's horrible death. She couldn't reach the electrical outlets. She couldn't reach the gas cooker. She couldn't even light a match to smoke a pipe. Could this be a verifiable case of spontaneous human combustion? Suppose that a few moments before these tragic events, the father with his pipe going away, burning, uh, burning uh, well, went over and knocked, knocked out the hot ashes on the windowsill. Okay. And now the breeze blows one of those hot embers in on her clothing. And somehow her flesh was, uh, there was fire in front of her mouth in any case, either from her clothing or her own burning flesh. And if she were hyperventilating and huffing uh, uh, excitedly or something like that, that might give the impression you might have seen uh, bursts of uh, flame coming apparently from her mouth. All right, he does make a good point. Confirming this, the coroner's report states that there was no evidence of burning at the back of Jean's mouth. It notes that she had 30 to 40% surface burns. The cause of death, bronchopneumonia, fluid in the lungs, which is often the cause of death for fire victims. Well, I guess you can't argue with that. Larry Arnold believes that the wording of the coroner's report does not truly reflect the entire incident. I stand corrected. I guess you can. And we're told that she had some burn damage inside her mouth. It appears that the medical documentation isn't completely thorough in this case because Don Carroll, the son-in-law, and John Saffin in their statements to the police authorities uh, mentioned things to us and in those statements that do not appear in the medical literature. All inside of her mouth, that was completely burnt. I've never seen anything like it. Now I'm confused again. If no one knows how the fire started, Don Carroll wonders why the police never accused him or Mr. Safin of setting Jean on fire. Because they know it was human combustion. That's why they know, but they will not tell anybody that it's what it is. And Don Carroll's belief in SHC is completely unshakable. But it's not just decorators from North London that are true believers. Even famous people from history are in on this. Charles Dickens. The beloved 19th century British novelist. Believe me, he was not beloved when I was studying English literature and had to read Bleak House. In 1852, he wrote the novel Bleak House. Oh no, it is Bleak House. That book was so dull. I wanted to read Oliver Twist. I mean, it has much better songs. Bleak House depicts the poverty and hopelessness of the urban poor during the Industrial Revolution. As you can imagine, it's pretty light on jokes. At the time, public drunkenness was a problem and temperance advocates wrote about terrifying cases of drunkards dying of spontaneous human combustion. I used to have a friend who would set light to his farts when he was drunk. Dickens 
was so uh, taken by this uh, topic and he thought he was, it was a scientific fact. And uh, so he chose in his great novel Bleak House to kill off the evil sinister Mr. Crooks uh, with the specter of spontaneous human combustion. I don't remember that bit. Maybe it's not such a bad book after all. It caused quite a stir. Dickens was immediately confronted by his friend, the scientist, George Lewis. Lewis thought that spontaneous human combustion was an impossibility. What Lewis was concerned about in the account of spontaneous combustion is that when such a powerful figure argues that something like spontaneous human combustion is possible, it will be believed by thousands and thousands. Poppycock! I can't get round Dickens' theory that people get so drunk they burst into flames. I mean, I can discount that just from experience. There has to be better theories. Larry Arnold has studied the works of many Eastern mystics. He discovered accounts of unbalanced kundalini causing the sensation of excruciating internal heat. His research has led him to believe that if a person blocks this powerful energy, they might spontaneously combust. Well, I guess there aren't any better theories then. Episode 34 Spontaneous Human Combustion The Epilogue So, what have we learnt this week? We learnt that the temperatures involved are really high. The fire was so intense that there was suspicion initially that perhaps foul play was involved because it seemed that certainly accelerants must have been present to fuel this intense combustion. We learnt that it might not be a mystery after all, but rather the result of drunk smoking. That sh there were burn marks all over her apartment from careless cigarette burns. And we learnt that, as usual, firefighters aren't much good at fire stuff. The firemen, they, they can't explain it. No one can explain it. When you first look at pictures of SHC, it really does look weird, and you immediately think that something paranormal is at play here. That's why paranormal investigators tend to come up with theories like exotic particles and static electricity. Some have even blamed ghosts. But it seems the most likely explanation is a little bit more mundane. The theory of the wick effect seems most likely. The clothes are ignited and act like a wick with the human body fat being the fuel like an inside-out candle. This would explain why legs and arms are often untouched by fire. And it's actually been tested on pigs wrapped in clothes, with the result matching SHC. So basically, if you want to avoid spontaneously human combusting, avoid being a drunk smoker. And if you can't avoid that, just be like me and do it naked. If you enjoy this podcast, then share it with your friends and let me know. Join the Facebook group and the Instagram, and you can email me at idontknowpod at outlook.com. Special thanks to our logo creator, Raymond Roel of Project Raven Creative. See all his links in the show notes. Thank you for listening, and come back next week to find out what I don't know. Good morning, Mr. Jones. We 
Is I can-